Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly. Today's case I'm really excited to discuss in our podcast discussion group on Facebook. So if you haven't already joined the group, make sure you do so because I want to know your thoughts on where this little boy could be. You can find the discussion group by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. Today is Monday, which means our case today is another missing person. Missing Mondays is a segment that was created by Kenzie and I to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to aid in their return home. 90,000 people in the U.S. are missing at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. On this segment of Missing Mondays, I will be sharing the information about Timothy Pitson. Timothy James Pitson was born on October 18, 2004 to his parents James Pitson, who went by Jim, and Amy Fry Pitson. Growing up in Aurora, Illinois, Timothy seemed to have an incredible life. His parents were hard workers and wanted to give him the best childhood. They often went on family trips that Amy would plan, and when looking at their family pictures, it seems like they truly were very happy. Little Timothy can be seen smiling and laughing on all of their family adventures. He was an only child and his parents really poured all their love into him, so much so that their own marriage began to strain. Timothy's mother, Amy, struggled a lot in relationships. Her husband, Jim, Timothy's father, was her fourth marriage, but Timothy was her first and only child. Amy had a lot of struggles with mental health. She had often contemplated suicide, and according to Medium.com, after an argument with her second husband, she went and parked her car on a set of train tracks, waiting for a train to come and hit her. But before a train could come along, she decided to drive off and check herself into a psychiatric hospital. She spent some time there and was able to find the right balance of medication to help her with her depression. But ultimately, her marriage ended. Finally, she met Jim and the two of them dated for a year long distance. During this time, Amy was open and honest about her depression struggles to Jim. And he was happy to be there for her and hopefully help her come out of that darkness. Their relationship went through its trials like most relationships do and they often fought over money, which is again a normal struggle that marriages have. All the while, Amy was still suffering from the highs and lows of her depression. When Timothy was born, it seemed to be a really, really good thing for Amy. She was such a loving and doting mother. Timothy was a mama's boy. Amy wanted Timothy to be different. And Amy's mother, Alana Anderson, told CNN that her daughter chose to add an extra M into Timothy's name to make him stand out more and be different. But it wasn't long before Amy was experiencing highs and lows again with her depression. And Jim found out months before Timothy went missing that she had been talking to her ex-husband. He ultimately told his wife, you either pick him or you pick me and our son. And Amy, of course, picked Jim and her family, and they began working through everything together. Things seemed to be normal again for the family. Timothy was thriving in kindergarten, where he was so well-liked by all of his classmates. 
On May 10th, 2011, Amy wasn't feeling well. And according to an interview with Jim for HLN's show called Real Life Nightmare, he said that Amy was having a bout of vertigo and was feeling very weak, wobbly, and was kind of stumbly. She laid down and was resting for most of that day. The following day was Wednesday, May 11th, 2011. Everyone woke up like normal. Jim, Amy, and little Timothy began their regular morning routines. And Jim usually always took Timothy to school every morning. But that morning, Amy insisted on taking him herself. Jim kept declining, telling her that she's still not strong enough or well enough after her vertigo bout from the day before. She kept insisting, but finally gave in and allowed Jim to take Timothy to school. Jim had also wanted to drive her to work that morning as well, which she didn't argue about this, but she did, however, question whether Jim actually trusted her, which in my opinion, that is such an odd thing to question your husband about. Of course he trusts her. Why shouldn't he? But he explained to her, of course I trust you. I just know that you were struggling with your vertigo yesterday. I just want to make sure that everyone arrives safely. Jim drives Timothy to the elementary school, and in the drop-off line, Timothy hops out of the backseat of the car. He tells his dad he loves him and slings his Spider-Man backpack over his shoulder, and then he heads towards the school doors, greeting teachers and other students as he walked by. Jim watches Timothy go inside the doors and begins to drive off, not realizing that that would be the last time that he saw his son. After dropping Timothy off at the school, he drove the few blocks to the rental company that Amy was working for. He gave her a kiss and then watched her as she buzzed into the building and drove off to work himself. Less than an hour later, Amy Fry Pitson arrives at Timothy's school. She tells the office staff that she was there to pick up Timothy and that the family had had an emergency and she just needed to get her son. She signed him out at 8.30 a.m. Video surveillance from inside the school shows Amy standing in the lobby, reaching her hand out to little Timothy, who was walking towards her with his backpack on. In the footage, nothing seems off with Amy. She does not seem stressed or upset, and her demeanor towards her son seems just like how any mother would be when they greeted their child. According to Medium.com, from there, Amy drove 30 miles east to LaGrange, Illinois, She stopped at a mechanical shop to have some work done on her Ford Expedition. Instead of waiting around at the shop, she asked if one of the employees could drop off her son and her at the Brookfield Zoo, which was not far away. The two spend many hours wandering around the zoo, enjoying each of the exhibits, stopping to look at all of the animals, and just really enjoying their day together. Once again, this seems like normal mom and son time. And I can imagine Timothy's excitement of ditching school for a date with his mom at the zoo. But their special trip wasn't finished. Around 3 p.m., they picked up the expedition from the shop. It was also around this time that Jim arrived at the school to pick up his son. And it was a shock to him to find out that his son wasn't there. When he asked who checked him out, he was surprised to see the school log showed Amy's signature as the person who was checking out her son, as well as seeing that she had picked him up from school within an hour of dropping him off. He left the school and began frantically calling Amy's cell phone. But instead of her answering, each time the call would go to voicemail. Jim decided to go home and wait for his wife to arrive. 
At this point, he knew something was off, but he was hopeful that she was just blowing off some steam or just wanted to play hooky for the day with her son. He figured at any point, Timothy and Amy would pull into the driveway. But that point never came. After picking up her expedition, Amy drove another 45 miles, this time heading north, stopping at the Key Lime Cove Indoor Water Park and Resort in Gurney, Illinois, which this was where they stayed for the night, Wednesday night, and checked out the following morning. From there, they drove 170 miles to Wisconsin Dales, Wisconsin, where they stayed the night at the Kalahari Resort. The following morning was Friday morning, and the two checked out of the Kalahari around 10 a.m. Not long after checking out, Amy decided to call her mom. When she spoke with her mom, she told her that she just needed a day or two away from everyone with Timothy, and that she would eventually be back. She had also said that both she and Timothy were fine, but she did not speak with Jim, nor would she answer his repeated calls. At one point, she does call her brother-in-law to speak with him. He could hear Timothy in the background playing, so he knew that he was okay at this point. The following day in Rockford, Illinois, a hotel staff member entered the room that was checked out under Amy's name to do a routine cleaning. What she found inside was a bloody scene. Amy's lifeless body laid on the floor of the hotel room, and according to Cincinnati.com, Amy had self-inflicted cuts to both wrists, her neck, and later in an autopsy, it would reveal that she had ingested a lethal dose of drugs. Upon further inspection of the room, there is zero evidence that Timothy had been with her at all. All of his belongings were not there, nor was he caught on the surveillance footage when she checked in the hotel at 11.15 p.m. the night before. Also missing from the hotel was Amy's cell phone. She was also caught on surveillance at a store that afternoon in Rockford, Illinois, and again, she was without her child. Inside the room, there was an apparent suicide note in which she detailed inside that Timothy was, quote, with people who loved him and will care for him. You will never find him. When Jim heard the news about the discovery of Amy and the fact that Timothy also wasn't with her, he was shocked. On Thursday, he had reported the pair missing, but after he was told from both Amy and his brother that she had spoke with him, he felt a little bit better about things. When investigators had spoken with Jim, they asked him about his relationship with Amy. He admitted that things had been on the rocks there for a while due to her speaking with an ex-husband. They had been talking about divorce. However, Amy had been really concerned about losing Timothy. She felt that given her past mental health history, that the state would grant Jim full custody of their son and she couldn't bear that idea. They decided to continue working on their relationship and had been up until that point that she took Timothy. When asked if Amy would hurt Timothy, Jim felt in his heart that Amy wouldn't do such a thing. Amy loved that boy and the thought of her harming him was the last thing that he would ever consider. Everyone who was close to Amy also agreed with Jim. They all believed that Amy's last words in her letter about Timothy being safe was the truth. Now it was just a matter of tracking down who had him. When investigators began digging deeper into the case, they also were slightly optimistic that Amy had handed the boy off to someone else. 
They were able to pull up credit card records that found that Thursday morning, the day after Timothy was picked up from school at 11.15 a.m., Amy had made a purchase at a store in Racine, Wisconsin. Among this purchase was children's clothing as well as toys. When Amy's hotel room and car was searched after her body had been discovered, there was not one of these items within them. No toys of Timothy's and no clothes. His Spider-Man backpack was also never recovered. And it was also apparent that the booster seat that Timothy sat in while riding in the car was also not in her vehicle. So this kind of goes hand in hand with the theory that Amy really did pass off her son to someone else. A massive search began for Timothy that spanned three states, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa. They were able to pull Amy's cell phone records and found that one of her last calls on Friday was from somewhere in or around Sterling, Illinois. Investigators zeroed in on this area and began doing anything and everything to spread the awareness about Timothy. They hung flyers, they passed them out, they questioned people about if they had seen this boy, and nothing. One thing they realized during this time was that the fact that the booster seat was missing from Amy's car was insignificant. Come to find out, it was in the possession of Amy's mother. Apparently, they forgot to get it back from her the last time that she had watched Timothy. Though they were a little bit bummed at this prospect that he hadn't had it this whole time, they were still holding out this hope that this didn't mean anything at all. Clearly, Amy was willing to drive hundreds of miles without Timothy properly being secured in the car. Perhaps she wasn't concerned about it when she gave him to someone else. Or my thinking is, if she did give him to someone else, then maybe they had the proper booster seat. This is one of my many questions that I have about this case. So hours turned into days, days into weeks, and still no Timothy. All leads were followed that came in. Tips poured in from many states, all of which never panned out to be anything other than false sightings. Slowly, the optimism investigators had about Timothy being safe began to dwindle. Surely, with how much coverage that this case was getting, someone had to have seen this child. When the forensics came back from Amy's car, investigators pretty much lost all hope that they were going to be able to find Timothy alive. Inside Amy's car, in the back seat, they found blood. And according to Medium.com, it was a significant amount of blood. And it was positively matched to Timothy. Jim, however, seemed to feel that this was from a nosebleed. He told investigators that Timothy suffered from frequent nosebleeds and had a bad one the month prior. I was not able to find much detail about the blood or if investigators felt that the amount was consistent with a life-threatening injury. They also were not able to determine how fresh the blood was. So I'm not sure whether this was proof that Amy had murdered Timothy before she killed herself, but Jim and their whole family believed that this just wasn't the case. He was quite certain it was from that nosebleed. Also during the forensic testing of the car, it was very apparent that at some point in time, Amy had driven off-road with the vehicle. On the undercarriage of the car was soil and vegetation that was sent off for forensic testing in hopes of being able to determine where it came from. It was determined from the vegetation and soil recovered from Amy's car that she had at some point drove off onto a gravel road or possibly a gravel shoulder. 
Then she had backed into a field that had plants like black mustard as well as Queen Anne's lace. From this information, they gathered that this had taken place somewhere in northwestern Illinois. Again, the fact that she had all of this under her car made investigators again believe that they are looking for a body opposed to a living child. They believed that Amy had taken the vehicle off-road and dumped little Timothy somewhere with all of his belongings. Investigators were struggling to find any kind of connection between anyone and the areas that she traveled in those days. They weren't able to find any kind of secret communication that she was having with anyone. They were literally coming up to dead end after dead end. Also, during their investigation, they realized that Amy had an iPass account, which I had to Google what exactly that was. Apparently, when you have an iPass account, you get this transponder that gets mounted to your car. This account automatically pays any and all tools that you go through while traveling throughout Illinois. The transponder keeps track of your passes through all toll areas, and you are not required to stop at any of the booths to pay. It's a quick and easy way to pass through tolls if you frequently travel through these areas. So investigators were able to track her toll movement. However, when her car was recovered, the transponder wasn't on her car, but they were still able to recover the data. What they found shocked not only Jim, but their entire family. Amy had traveled to the Dixon-Sterling area twice, once in February and again in March. According to the Medium.com article, when Amy went there, she spent four to five hours in this area before she passes back through the toll area heading home. This was something that nobody in her family had any clue about. And it became very apparent that it seems like Amy had this whole thing planned for quite some time. Which again, brings me to the question, does Amy know someone in this area? Was she meeting up with someone to make plans for Timothy? Or was Amy scoping out an area to hide her son's body? After following up many leads, conducting many searches, and nothing, the case seems to kind of go cold. That is, until October 2013, when a woman realizes that she has had in her possession Amy's cell phone. The woman had found Amy's cell phone on the side of the road north of Mount Carroll in Illinois. When she found it, it was just after Timothy went missing, but she didn't connect the dots that it could potentially be something. Instead, she tossed the phone into a drawer where it stayed for two years until her brother broke his phone and she gave him the cell phone as a backup until he got a new one. After he was able to get it charged, he turned it on and found that the phone wasn't just any phone. It had belonged to the mother of missing Timothy Pitson. They immediately contacted authorities and turned the phone in. Unfortunately for Jim, the phone didn't lead them to Timothy and nothing on there was of any kind of significance to the investigation, which I can imagine this was an extremely big letdown for the family. Years go by and fewer and fewer leads trickled in until suddenly in April of 2019, the case seems to blow wide open. A teenage boy was found wandering around a Newport, Kentucky street seeking help from anyone who passed by. He kept saying that he was 14-year-old Timothy Pitson and that he had just escaped his captors who had been holding him for the last eight years. Authorities took the teen to an emergency room in Cincinnati, and according to the New York Times, it was there in the emergency room that the boy refused to allow them to take fingerprint impressions. 
which this was suspicious, but the kid kept saying that he was Timothy. Obviously, this is something that caught the media's attention quickly, and pictures began circulating on Facebook showing a teenage boy that looked like it could be Timothy. After two days of thinking that Timothy was found, it came back that this person was not Timothy at all. And in fact, he wasn't even a teenager. DNA testing proved that he was not Timothy Pitson, and after getting fingerprints from the individual, it was determined that he was 24-year-old Brian Reaney from Medina, Ohio. In an affidavit against Brian Reaney, it stated that he was confronted with this information about not being Timothy, and he stated that he was, in fact, not him, and that he had heard Timothy's story on a 2020 episode. He stated that he wanted to get away from his own family and that he had always wished for a father like Timothy's. After investigating more, the FBI found out that Brian Reaney had previously claimed twice that he was a juvenile sex trafficked victim. Brian was arrested and charged with making a false statement to federal officials. According to CNN, Brian Reaney was sentenced to two years in prison for aggravated identity theft after pleading guilty in January of 2020. I can imagine the total heartbreak that this whole thing with Brian caused the family. The entire family is still holding out hope that Timothy Pitson is out there somewhere. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children periodically releases new age-progressed images of what Timothy could look like today. Authorities are still holding out hope also that someday someone will come forward with information that could lead them to Timothy's whereabouts. Timothy James Pitson was just six years old when he went missing on May 11, 2011. In just a week, we hit the 10-year mark that Timothy has been missing. At the time that Timothy was last seen, he had brown hair and brown eyes. At that time, he also was four foot two and weighed around 70 pounds. He was last seen wearing blue or green shorts, a brown shirt, and white socks. He was also carrying a Spider-Man backpack, and in one of the surveillance footages from the hotel that he stayed at with his mom before she committed suicide, he could be seen playing on the floor with what appeared to be a toy semi-truck. If you or anyone you know has information on the whereabouts of Timothy Pitson, you can call the Aurora Police Department at 630 256 5000. Also, as I stated earlier, be sure that you're in our podcast discussion group. In there, I will have pictures of Timothy as well as the age progressed photo. I am also curious to hear what you think Amy did with her son. Be sure to also follow us on TikTok and Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you are notified every single time a new episode goes live. Crimeaholics, that's all for now. Until next time, be aware and take care. Bye.